This is the Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show is presented by State Farm. Because like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today is Wednesday, December 8th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing, man? I am doing well in this... What is it? We into week fourteen? I it can never tell anymore. At, <laughs> at a certain point, it all starts to blend together, and we are firmly in that point. When the weeks get into the teens, it's yeah. it's done for me. Until we get to week sixteen, seventeen, because then my fantasy season is locked in, and I know that the end of the regular season is coming. But week yes. twelve through week sixteen, I'm absolutely worthless. And we're adding a week eighteen. Oh, it's I don't just know what ridiculous. Anything is. Yeah, let's let's focus and pull it together here. We are trying to sort through all of this stuff, and we're going to try to sort through a lot today. So these Wednesday shows, I like kind of stepping away from the schedule and thinking about the league in kind of a big picture way. And one of the conversations that we've been having, everybody, over the last month, over the last six weeks is, where are the elite teams in the NFL this year? Doesn't it feel wide open in a way that it hasn't in years past? And as we kept talking about it, I was thinking, well, let's just actually explore that. Is it really the case? Why might it be happening? And that's what I wanted to do with you today. I wanted to kind of explore why we seem to be settling into this real parody-filled version of the NFL in 2021 without a lot of clear-cut frontrunners. Obviously, the Patriots win a wild game on Monday night. They've been impressive pretty much every step of the way here over the last six weeks, but they're doing something in a very specific way. It doesn't feel like we have these juggernauts that we have had over the last few seasons. So I wanted to explore that with you a little bit. Yeah. And I've sketched in some thoughts on it. I mean, I always start with uh, what are the most reliable things from your year? It's usually is offense and it's usually led by really good quarterbacks. I think we've had some change among quarterbacks. Certainly if you look at my quarterback tiers, Thing we subtracted some guys out. We put some guys in. Deshaun Watson's disappeared. Wilson's been compromised in Seattle by his injury and other stuff. Some of those things that you could just take to the bank. I have felt like this year, okay, I can still take Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady pretty much to the bank. Uh, I feel like for the most part, I know they're good. They may have a bad game here or there, but they're going to be good four to five weeks, just like for the last <laughs> 10 years. But the amount of those guys is starting to shrink, right? And maybe that's an era shifting. I mean, there's so many different considerations with why that might be the case. Yeah, but I I think that's part of it. And we'll get into that as we explore. I've I've got a little bit more on that. But I think there's also some, you know, some random distribution of teams and how it goes from year to year. Uh, We have this expectation, I think, based on what we know is happening in the league. Okay, we know that people are passing more, that offense, the rules have gone this way. We know that's where the trend line is. And if we, if we zoom out and look at it, that's where it's going. But we sort of assume within that, that it's going to be every year on top of the previous year. Yeah. Just keeps going up and up and up in the same direction. And it's sort of like if, when you put money aside into your 401k, hopefully. um, Sounds nice. I wish I had one of those. Yeah. But you, you go crazy. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the day the 1987 stock market crashed. My dad was pacing. We didn't have a lot of money, but what we had was dad had some money in there. I mean, he was frantically walking around back and forth in the <laughs> funny. I'm sorry. in the kitchen. I'm like, are we going to have to move or what? You know, I, it wasn't that bad. I mean, but but if you live in the day to day moment of this, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna die. And I think this year 
uh, we're assuming this trend line just going to keep going. And this is a little bit of a dip in the market. And over the five-year and 10-year long-term outlook, it's the same. But within that, you're going to have a bear market. You're going to have a year that feels down. And there could be reasons for that. And maybe that's what it is. So let's just start with the landscape. Because I want to first address, is this really happening? Like, Do the numbers say that we do have a vacuum of elite teams, that things are tighter than they've been in years past? And the answer is yes. Right. So if you look at just the results, ESPN.com had a story about this last week. and I thought this number was fascinating. Heading into week 13, 25 games had been decided on the final play of the game, which is the most since the merger. So all those wild endings and all these close games that you think you're watching, you're actually watching them. This year, 25 teams have at least five wins through 13 weeks. That's three more than last year. 22 teams. Right now, according to 538, have at least a 10% chance of making the playoffs. 13 weeks, it's December. It's the first week of December, and 22 teams have... 10% is not nothing. 10% is an icicle's chance in hell. Like You absolutely can do that. And now, you look at it even further, beyond just how tight it is in the middle and how many teams are within striking distance, there are no elite teams in the NFL. That is real. Aaron Schatz gave me this number today, which I sincerely appreciate from Football Outsiders. Tampa Bay is currently number one in DVOA overall, 28.7% DVOA. That is the second lowest mark for a, for a league leader 13 weeks into the season of the DVOA era, which goes back 35 years. Wow. The 2016 Cowboys are the only team that led the league in DVOA this deep into the year and were lower. And think about that 2016 season. That Falcons team that was 500. Halfway through the year, rumbled through the playoffs. They ran through it without any sort of issue. That's how tight and up for grabs the NFC was that season. So the season that you're watching right now is diluted. It is watered down. So I did a a little bit of a proxy for this. uh, And I took all the teams in the last 20 years through week 13. I just did a net EPA per game. So what that means is the 2007 Patriots were a plus 22 points a game in net EPA, <laughs> offense, defense, special teams, right? That, that means they're winning by 22 points a game, basically, okay? And so if you stack these 702 teams, and you know, going back to, to whatever, 2000, the first time you see a 2021 team is in the 23rd slot. And that's the Bills, who obviously last night wasn't great for them, or, or, or two nights ago, if you're listening to this later. But uh, on the whole, for this season, they've been, I think, plus 12 net EPA per game. So there's 23 teams you have to get to before you get any teams from this season. And that's what we're talking about, because if you have a huge net EPA differential, you're winning by a lot of points per game. And, and we're not having as many teams this year from this season that are up there. All right. So if we've established that, if we've established that the the elite teams aren't here, that it is diluted at the top, that it is more wide open. I want to talk about why. Like, what are the reasons this might be happening this year? And I want to start with something that you kind of alluded to earlier in the show. I want to start with offense. Because if you look at just football success over the last several years, it's mostly tied to offense. We know that offense is more consistent from year to year. We know that offense has the players you can rely on the most. You talked about the quarterbacks, and that's it. When you look at the elite teams, you're typically looking at the teams that are scoring the most. And right now, scoring is down. 
that trend line that we talked about has taken a slight dip. So a few stats that I think really kind of shine a light on that. Last year, there were six teams at this stage of the year that were above 0.1 EPA per play on offense. Six. This year, there are three. Over the course of last year, there were five teams that had a 15% or higher DVOA on offense. This year, there's one. If you go to points, last last year, nine teams averaged at least 28 points per game. There were five teams at 30 points per game. This year, six have topped 28 and one is averaging 30 points per game. So it's real. Points per game, counting stats, traditional numbers, advanced numbers. Offense just is not at the same level in 2021 that it has been over the last couple years. And I'm curious why you think that might be. You know, one of the things that I always look at just to not get too complex is just who's playing quarterback. And I think we we lost 16 starts to Phillip Rivers. We lost 16 starts to Deshaun Watson. 12 starts of Drew Brees, which weren't amazing, but certainly seemed amazing compared to what the Saints are putting on the field now. Their offensive production was extremely high. I mean, they were one of the most efficient offensive teams in the league last year. Yep, they could actually do that. Now, we did get Dak Prescott back, but remember to this point in the season, Dak played five or six games last year and was good. So we we hadn't lost a whole season of Dak. Uh, So that's part of it. Now, look also at the equation of rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. Last year, Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow were the week one starters. Excellent players. I mean, we wanted to see God, more. That's, These guys that's so true. I didn't even think ele- about that. Elevated their teams. And then Tua got some run later in the year. So Tua came in, but it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't the whole run of the season. So and Miami was pretty year, efficient with Fitzpatrick last year when he was in. I mean, they were much yeah. better on offense than you might have expected. Yes, absolutely. So, so this year we put in Mac Jones and that's been good, but not like in a featured way where they're, where he's throwing the ball all the time. He's just done a really nice job, but Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Davis Mills, whether because their situations are bad, which we know they are in some situations, whether because they're not as good as Herbert and Burrow, which could be the case, whatever, just bottom line results, stats, those guys are getting a lot of play this year, and they weren't last year. And instead, last year, we had those other guys, like a Rivers, like a like a Deshaun Watson, uh, in there really – putting up some some good numbers. So I think that hurts too and is maybe a little unique to this year that we just happen to have a bunch of quarterbacks come in that aren't doing great. I also feel like there are some situational factors that have shifted over the last year. The silent stadiums last year, that's real. That gives offenses an advantage. So you have offenses playing the entire season last year on the road in quiet stadiums. Communication, your ability to check into things, I feel like that really allowed a lot of offenses to settle in, be comfortable, no matter where they're playing, no matter who they were playing against. So that goes away. And and last year, 23.7 offensive points per game on the road. This year, it's 21.8. And that is still the second best since 2011. That's not terrible, but it's two points per game on offense down from last year. That's a big deal. That's a huge drop. That's a huge drop. And So that that's great. I love that. That's that. And then you look at it. I'm sure you'll love this. Games were officiated differently last year. That offensive explosion last year coincides with a huge drop in things like holding penalties. There were 1.8 holding penalties per game on offense last year. This year, it's back up to 2.54. That may not seem like a lot, but that's one sabotage drive per game in a sport where maybe you're going to get eight, nine drives over the course of a game. That stuff starts to add up over time. So I think that that's one area, and there are a few schematic ones that I also want to look into. But is there anything on that side that you feel like 
we should add? Just some uh, kind of quieter factors that you think have been important. Yeah, no, I don't. I think those are the main ones. The officiating one is a big deal, and that's something that's controllable for the league. That's something to watch for in the future because the league wants the scoring to keep going, mm -hmm. and and this so we could see that could be a variable that they figure out. Oh, okay, we have a little control with the dial here. Maybe we need to get in between one point eight and two point five. And that's what I felt like they were doing last year, right? Because there wasn't a preseason, there wasn't as much practice time. You didn't have an off season for everybody. It's like, all right. Let's make sure these games aren't ugly and unwatchable early in the season and keep the flags in the pockets and let guys play on offense. On defense, on defense we're not letting them do anything. But yep. I do think that was a conscious choice last year. So the other part of this that I thought has a real impact is that defenses, in my opinion, over the last two seasons, really, and last year it was harder to see because of the factors we're talking about that were slanted toward the offense, defenses have become more conservative in the NFL over the last couple of years, like considerably more conservative when you look at the three-year trends. All right, last year, teams played man coverage on 30.8% of their snaps. This year, it's 27.5. It's Pretty a 3% big drop in man yeah. coverage. From two years ago, it's a 7% drop, 6.8 over, over a two-year span. If you look at blitzing, last season, teams blitzed on 28.4% of dropbacks. This year, it's 25.3% of dropbacks. So these little tiny tweaks of the dial where teams are toning down the aggressiveness a little bit, I feel like has led to a style of defense where coordinators around the league are saying, we're going to make you beat us. We are not going to give you these chunk plays down the field. The perfect example to me is how teams are playing the Chiefs and the Bills and the Rams to a certain extent, right? We yeah. talk about all the two high coverages, but... It's really the two high coverages plus not sending extra bodies. So we're going to make you bite this off in little chunks all the way down the field. And I think that that approach has defanged some of these super explosive elite offenses that we've seen over the last few seasons. Those types of passing games are just harder to come by right now because of the way the league has drifted defensively over the last couple of years. Absolutely. Even like the second half of last season and somewhat of this year for a Russell Wilson, he's been such a great big play quarterback, but now, Hey, you know what? You know, there's like a lag time. It's kind of like, Oh yeah. Marshawn Lynch hasn't been there for a long time. And now Chris Carson's hurt. Oh, wait a minute. We don't really care if you try to run the ball. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Pete talking about it all the time. Doesn't will it into existence. No, no. But I mean, it's just so it, that that's part of, I think that's a huge part of it. We've we've written and talked about that a lot. You can see that happening. That uh, shoot, there was, uh, I mean, some of these games are being won with few, ex won or lost with few explosive plays in the past game. I mean, from these teams that used to just have it going all the time. We're waiting for the Chiefs' offense. Isn't yep. that amazing? Yeah. Like you, normally, it would have bounced back. Is it going to in in the explosiveness that it was before? I, I don't know that it is this year. And then you look at Buffalo, and Buffalo is a team that was in the top five in efficiency metrics last year. I want to say they're 13th or 14th in offensive DVOA this year. It's not a disaster, but it's not what we expect from them. It's not this high-flying fireworks show that we thought they might be, and there just aren't many of those teams this year. And you look at it, along with the man coverage and just lack of pressure and blitzing this year, two high coverages on early downs, that, that's what it is to me, yep. is the lack of early down explosiveness from some of these offenses who were feasting on it over the last few seasons. Over the last two years, 2019 through 13 weeks, 
at the average NFL team had seen 105 dropbacks of two high zones on early downs. Okay. This year, it's 128. That may not seem like a lot, but that's a 22% increase over the last two years. And those are just two high coverages. That's not two high shells rotating down. So you have those cutting crossers, you have bodies back there. So I think that all of that has led to just a lack of efficiency and explosiveness on early downs. Last season, six teams had a dropback EPA of 0.2 or higher on early downs in the NFL. This year, there are zero. There are none. Yeah. It, that Those types of teams just don't exist in 2021. And I think that's why you don't see these uber elite offenses right now. And I remember when we were doing stories about the record offenses in the past couple of years, if you looked at it, all of the gains that were being made were on early downs. There was a yes. huge inefficiency there because forever, everyone has been taught in football, stop the run. Defensive coordinators have nightmares about being run on all game. Like last night, that's why Sean, <laughs> like uh, Monday night, that's why Sean McDermott is so chippy. It like, it eats at your soul. As it's a the worst. It's the absolute coach. worst if you're like a tough guy defensive coordinator. Oh, to just have some, it is it is your big brother holding you down on the couch and just giving you a continuous <laughs> noogie. It's not going to kill you. You know, it's not, it shouldn't even be, but it's humiliating and you just want to get out of there so bad. And so I think there's been huge offenses have exploited that inefficiency better in recent years. And it's taken a while. And I think talking about the too high and all this different stuff, I think defenses are now going, okay, all right, wait a minute. We're not going to fall for that to the same degree. Those margins are going to be closed and cleaned up a little bit. You look at some of the things, and I haven't done the research on this, but I know this is from talking to coaches. Some of them feel like you know, defenses, whether it's just through having more experience or just being wiser, are probably a little bit better about playing RPOs or probably a little bit better about some of the motion wrinkles and things that yep. uh, help to create advantages yeah, you're a little bit better on those. And I think when you, if a defense can account for some of that window dress, some of those things that help an, help an offense uh, get more bang for their buck, football can be reduced more to blocking and tackling. And I don't think offensive lines have suddenly gotten good in the last two, gotten better <laughs> in the last two or three years. Three, four years ago, every story going into the season, a lot of them were the decline of offensive line play. I wrote one. I remember spending a lot of time on it. <laughs> I remember too. I can remember uh, the same thing researching. I did a bunch of research on it. And by the time I was going to write it, I didn't write it because it, the offenses started perking up. I still have all the research, but it was like, they didn't just suddenly start practicing offensive line play and got good at it. These other things were helping to minimize the importance of it, whether it's an RPO or, or play action and early downs. Maybe we're back to offensive lines. I was going to do this. This would be fun to look at. Are PFF grades for offensive lines down this year from the past or just anything that's an independent, you know, Brian Burke's win rates and all of that. I would love to know year over year if those have, have come down. It could be a good thing to look at. I'm curious if the aggregate is true because I think that the quarterback play there matters, right? I yeah. saw a stat today that Tristan Wirfs hasn't, hasn't given up a pressure in like six games or something stupid like that. And we were yeah. talking with Mitchell on Tuesday's podcast just about how easy it is relatively to play offensive line for Tom Brady, but those guys no longer exist. Like the Tom, the Philip Rivers is and drew breezes and the guys that are retiring. It's harder to play for some of these more athletic play extending quarterbacks who aren't going to be getting rid of the ball 
in two and a half seconds, who aren't going to be dropping to the same point on every single play and getting rid of the ball in a predictable manner. So I think that totally makes sense. And now if we're playing more zone, then we have eyes on the quarterback for when he's going to beat you on the scramble, right? Yes. That's another advantage for some of these, you know, on defense, if you're facing Lamar Jackson or somebody who's going to run, not even has to be like him. It could be anybody. It could be Josh Allen. It could be Russell Wilson. Uh, Heck, probably half the quarterbacks can run for a first down or maybe more. It's a lot. I mean, Mahomes is not athletic and he led the NFL in scramble yardage last year because of every time a team played man coverage against him on third down, he made them pay. Yeah, so, so I don't know if scramble. I, I haven't looked if scramble yards is way down or something, but it just makes sense that you've got your eye on that guy a little bit more now if you're playing more zone. I, I totally agree. And just zone makes quarterbacks work like that. That is the long and the short of it is that it's harder for quarterbacks. It, it's at a certain point, there's going to be guys open, but you need to be patient. You need to be considered. And there just aren't as many easy buttons right now, in my opinion, with offensive football as there was in 2017, 2018, 2019. When you think about that game, the Monday night game between the Rams and the Chiefs, and just I already knew the game you're talking. You said that game. I already knew it was felt like a sea change, right? It felt like this was when everything was going to shift and this is what football was going to be like. And the Rams were the perfect example to me of a team that was just smashing the easy buttons. They had the motions. They had the play action. They had all these different ways to give the game to their quarterback and clear up the picture and make and take the load off of him. Well, if you look at the way the defenses are structured now, even like a simple jet motion, when you would rock your safeties down because you're playing single high, you were showing what coverage you were in and showing how you were going to do it. Now, if you're static against those motions, you're not giving information away. It's just something little like that. So, And also, those coverages are better against play action because you're dropping down into crossing routes. So motion, play action, all of those things that were lifting offenses are less effective if you're going to start playing like this and such the wheel goes around like that. That's how the world turns in football. But we're in this interesting point in the cycle, I think, where offenses have dipped down a little bit because of the reaction the defenses have had. It can be very interesting. Just think, well, maybe Tom Brady and Rogers are going to play forever. But as we subtract these things that are the sure things that are the known things, and like we said, rivers went out, breeze went out. They were known things, especially breeze. It was really known things. So, it could become even more volatile down the road. Another one that I, a factor that is not as fun to talk about, not nearly as fun to talk about, is injuries. And obviously there are injuries every single year, right? I mean, that, that's just a going concern when you're thinking about the NFL. But often when you're looking at injuries over the course of an entire season, teams that get absolutely decimated are teams that are usually at the bottom of the standings when it's all said and done. Like if you lose a lot, think of the Niners, over the last couple of years, right? A team that went healthy is competitive and is dangerous, but they've gotten so torn up by injuries that they're picking in the top 10, top 12. But now you look at the teams that have been the most injured teams in football this year, and the two examples that jump out to me are Baltimore and Tennessee, right? These are division leaders who are the two most injured teams in the entire NFL. So if we're talking about why there's a vacuum at the top, I don't know. If Marcus Peters, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Ronnie Stanley, if all these guys stay healthy, I don't know if the Ravens and Titans are 13 or 14 win teams. But I do know without those guys, they absolutely take a step down in the pecking order. And that's why you see this kind of cloudy picture now in the AFC, in part because their legs have been cut out from under them. 
And also think of it, those teams are unique in another way and that they're heavily schemed up over producers offensively. Yes. If you look at, if you look at Tennessee the last few years, you're like, God, how, how are they doing this? They're like, their numbers on early down passes, by the way, when I was looking at it was absolutely insane. (laughs) Yeah. We were wondering how it can continue and wondering, okay, is this the year that it falls off? Uh, Oh, it didn't feel like forever sustainable. Uh, with Baltimore, a little bit of the same. I mean, they've been excellent, but there was already a little bit of a coming down uh, from the absolute peak uh, when they really had it going. And so I don't know that those two teams were going to last forever at uh, peak efficiency, indistinguishable on a stat sheet from Kansas City, Green Bay, right? If those Kansas City and some of these other ones are coming down, certainly these were going to, and they might have anyway. Then you throw in the injuries and it's completely different. Even Green Bay, you know, Green Bay's offense has still been very, very good this season, but they've dealt with offensive line injuries. They've had one game where Aaron Rodgers didn't play. So they've had to worry about some guys out of the lineup as well. And I think that that limits your ceiling. Even if we think they're going to be good moving forward, those numbers in the long term over the course of the first 13 weeks are not as high because they've had some little blips. Think about the Arizona game. When they didn't have any receivers. I mean, there are these little moments, even for these elite teams this year. That was their, that was their New England Baltimore or New England Buffalo game, you know, <laughs> the outlier game where you're going. But I think Aaron Rodgers is such a, is such an equalizer. The Packers have subbed in a lot of people on their offensive line, and they've hit on a lot of those guys. They've done a good job in their scouting of them and development. But I think some of those players they plugged in could be fairly or not perceived as a weakness if they had a different quarterback in there. I think Rodgers is that good and that important to what they do that it can cover for some of that and smooth the transition and get it out and play to any game plan, any tempo. Just The Rams game plan was masterful. I mean, it was absolutely, it was a masterclass in how you overcome a talent deficiency against a really good front. Yeah, it was amazing. I was at that game. It was, it was, it was really incredible. And then I think you look at one other example that I feel like is worth mentioning here. The Bucks injuries on defense, when you have injuries that are concentrated in one area of your roster, the Bucs are still a good defense. They're eighth in defensive EVOA. But if Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting play for a good chunk of the season, are they third? Are the Bucs a one-loss team? Like I feel like that's another example of a team that's been sapped of its eliteness, for lack of a better term, overall because of a very concentrated set of injuries. It's not an excuse. Every team has injuries. But if we're trying to explain why there are fewer elite teams, these are some of the reasons. Yep, I agree. And I think it's a very unusual year. I mentioned Seattle. It's very unusual for them to be a 4-8 and team. Russell Wilson's finger injury, that's never happened before. They've had all their injuries at running back. I think their offense is much worse than we would have thought. I mentioned Deshaun Watson earlier, too. I mean, that's just an unprecedented thing in the league that you have a top-five quarterback just leave in his prime. I mean, those two things, uh, you know, are pushing the scale the other way too. Talk about the lack of elite teams and why the top is maybe a step down. I want to talk about a couple of the reasons that the bottom may be a couple steps up because that's the other side of this, right? Is that we have so many teams sitting in that five, six win range that still have a shot at this. And I think that that's worth exploring too. And one of the theories I have about that and why we have so many teams that just feel competitive, and you have really good perspective on this, so I'm curious what you think. I truly believe, after watching certain teams around the league and after talking to coaches, that coaching right now in the NFL might be as good as it's ever been. 
Like the baseline level of coaching, especially on offense, just feels like it's at a ridiculously high level where there are very few teams where you watch their offense outside of the rookie quarterbacks and you're like, that's a broken system. Like there's no way that's going to work. There's only a handful of them. How, how do you feel about that just like in general? I think I definitely agree that we're not having it, – it's less about what offensive system the guy wants to run. I think that was yes. always – that dominated the conversation of, oh, they're running uh, the West Coast offense. Okay, so here's what you need to run it. And you know what? We're running this offense. We have our system. It's our belief system we're doing. And I think we're, we're beyond that to where that would be the exception now. And when you see someone try to just stick with their offense – uh, they better get really good players because otherwise they're not going to maximize their personnel. So I, I agree on that that part of coaching, which is what coaching should always be about. <laughs> yes. I think it's getting. <laughs> I think it's getting back to that. I think it got away from that probably in the through the idea of the system. The Bill Walsh had a system. That's what you're going to have. You know. I feel like in a lot of ways, Bill Walsh and Peyton Manning ruined offensive football in the NFL. <laughs> right. I mean, if you look at just the shoddy knockoffs of what they wanted other teams wanted after watching the west coast offense and after watching the way that peyton manning played quarterback i think there were a lot of really bad imitations and we had this idea in our heads of this is how you play the position and now those ideas have shifted so much and i think that the team in the landscape right now that really is a shining example of this idea is the eagles right i think that there is a world where this Eagles team as currently constructed with a rookie head coach with a second-year quarterback is one of the worst offenses in football. If you try to construct this in a very specific way, if you're Nick Sirianni, I think this could be a bottom-five team. But their pivot at about the five- or six-week mark into what they are now, they're 12th in EPA per play because they have looked at what they have and said, all right, we're going to tailor around his strengths we're going to lean into this very specific type of offense where we're running it. We have all these different kinds of runs leaning into that creativity. Their willingness to do that has put them on the doorstep of making the playoffs. And I think that's a huge reason why is because there's a willingness to have that flexibility and to kind of share ideas. And there's a lot of different reasons, but I think they're the team that really speaks to that the most for me. I think the hard part about what makes it hard to do that is in your gut, you know that's not how you're going to build a championship team. Yeah. And so you're really making a compromise to get to nine and eight. And I think most people have, do have correctly a vision for how we're going to play if we're going to be a championship team. And you're going to have to be reasonably proficient in a drop back pass game. And, and it's probably not going to look like Philly looks. You're doing what you do if you're Philly because you can't do the other thing that you need to do to really truly get over the top, but you're doing the best thing for you right now. So the question is for how long do you sign up for that? And I think the other team that's a really good example of that is the dolphins, right? Like this Mickey mouse offense that the dolphins are running. I don't know what it looks like in the long term. I have no idea if it is best for who they want to be 18 months from now, but over the last six weeks, two is 11th in dropback EPA per play because of the way he runs that offense. I just think that overall, in the, in, in the entire league, there are fewer square pegs in round holes. There are fewer coaches who are trying to just slam their heads against the wall and saying, this is who we're going to be, our personnel, and what's best for us in the moment be damned. Like you said, 
I don't know what that means for their long-term trajectory or long-term outlook, but I do think in the short term, that has made every offense, with some exceptions, dangerous in their own right, dangerous in specific moments. And that's why you have so many teams that are five and seven. And and the key for, for a team like Philadelphia is, okay, now let's try to grow in those areas so that we don't have to be this way all the time so that we, you know, you can now maybe on your terms, grow the drop back game a little bit, but not all at once, not just all trying. You can't try to be this week one through 12 Stafford Rams. (laughs) That's just not going to work. (laughs) You're all going to be fired after one year. So there has to be a balance in there where you do what's best for you right now to be competitive and try to grow into something that you think can actually get you over the top. I also think that, and this is one thing that coaches bring up all the time, when when you talk to coaches on both sides of the ball, the way that ideas travel in the coaching world right now is unlike it's ever been, which makes a lot of sense, right? Just think about technology. If you want to queue up anything in the world, any football play in the NFL that happened on a Sunday, you can do it in two seconds. So the world has become flat, like the world of football ideas, there are no barriers to taking something that works. So I just feel like that has led to an adaptability and creativity throughout the league that has given more teams more options. It's also led to a certain uniformity, right? Oh, yeah. Because of that. But I also think that it just allows you to find stuff that works for you. There Again, just fewer coaches that are stubborn in that way. It annoys the hell out of the coaches who come up with something, then see it on seven other teams the next week. They're like, oh. Uh, but I, I remember years ago doing a story uh, on a on a guy when I was a Seahawks beat reporter uh, on a guy who was he was their kind of film guy, right? And they were just bringing in the systems with all this video, and I was talking to him stories about what it was like because they used to get film actually developed on reels. He said Al Davis would take out there'd be missing plays when they did the film exchange. You would get the Raiders film and there'd be two trick plays and a two minute drive missing. You never got to see him. You couldn't go in. I mean, people are complaining about what game pass looks like now. That would have been an absolute dream back in the day when Al Davis was taking plays out of the 16 millimeter film and you never saw them. I it's I, I was talking to Vance Joseph about this a couple weeks ago when I was in Arizona. Uh, if you have not read the story I wrote about the Cardinals, I, I would encourage you to go check it out. I think it's kind of interesting. I enjoyed writing it. So I was talking to him about this, and he was just t- saying that you know there was a time, 10, 15 years ago maybe, where coaches around the NFL, offensive coaches, they would just call plays. Like That's what they did. You'd call plays from a sheet that had a certain homogeneity to it, and it wasn't that interesting. And you say, like, all right, this is the play we're going to call here. And now, because of how these ideas are shared, and because of, I think, sort of youthful energy that's been injected into the NFL coaching world. Look at what this Eagles coaching staff looks like, for example, just in terms of age and background and all that. You have offensive coaches that know the defensive rules in and out. It's not just throwing plays against the wall and saying, this feels like it'll work here. It's plays constructed and called to specifically snap the rules that make up NFL defenses. And that's possible because of how these ideas are shared now. So I think that that's just how the landscape and the feeling and the temperature of football coaching is in this moment. And that's why you have so many offenses that reach a baseline level of competency, even if you have all these other factors that are depressing what the best offenses look like this season. Yep. And I think those things were true 
access information wise two years ago or a year ago when the when the offenses were doing better, but we might have gotten to a point where uh, defenses have realized <laughs> they had to do something. I mean, they actually had to change because it was getting out of hand. I think the worst offenses are better right now than they were five years ago. I think the best offenses are worse than they were two years ago. And I think that's what's kind of created this crowded middle in a certain way. And for the exact reasons we said, it's like teams are not going to sit there and blitz the Rams. They're just not going to do it. They are going to make them bite off those little chunks. So I feel like if you're pushing it down at the top and pushing it up at the bottom, that's where you have this sandwich of NFL teams where you have 22 teams with a 10% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. Yep. It's fascinating. Is there anything else that you feel like is worth mentioning? I feel like you've got some thought about just the pure randomness that could lead to this and how none of it actually means anything. Yeah. But it feels like I've, I feel like we know what this season is going to be like. I would be surprised if suddenly the offenses just had a huge uptick. Don't you think we've seen enough this year to say like, what would they do? What are they going to come up with? Uh, what are the, what are the Chiefs going to? Do you think the Chiefs are going to hit stride this year and score thirty points a game down the stretch at some point? No. I like a month ago, I I would have said, yeah, maybe. It feels like if things are happening too many times week after week, that uh, I'm not sure there's a correction snapping out of it consistently for some of these teams, and that's a little different than I would have thought at one point earlier in the year so we'll see just think about time right think about how many chiefs drives we watched from 2018 to last season that were four plays and lasted 48 seconds those drives have vanished for a lot of these teams you just don't see those sorts of monster chunk plays that lead to quick scoring drives i think if you're looking at it in the big picture and this may be an oversimplification but if the running game is going to come back, if that is going to be a huge part of what makes great offenses great, if defenses are going to play this style, then even if offenses are efficient and good, they're still not scoring 35 points a game just because it takes longer to score. So I think that may be the world we're walking into here. If that is how offenses are going to correct, then first, we have some teams that built the wrong way (laughs) that are going to have a hard time shifting, but also it's still going to make these games a little uglier and a little bit closer just because scoring is still going to be down a little bit. Kind of. I was looking at this earlier in in the context of something with Cleveland, a team that's not scoring inside. I, for some reason I'd pulled up like offensive points per game since week six. I don't know why I was doing that, but like the, the Colts are at 32 Tampa's at 30. And I was like, huh, you the two of, most efficient rushing offenses in the league. That's over exactly. That I was thinking. I'm sure yeah. some of its opponent. You know, they played whatever this team. Uh, Cincinnati is actually third than New England. Uh, Cincinnati is a little bit of a surprise, but they're all at 29. But when you when you start talking about those teams, you're talking about some balance to them. You know, like is that what, what I was talking about earlier? When if when you strip away the window dressing and the bells and whistles, the th- you strip away the uh, you take off the lift shoes that make you two inches taller. And now we're just all standing there barefoot and, and we, we don't have any uh, weapons in our hands. You find out who can do the basics, right? It's just blocking, man. It is who just who's blocking better. I no longer have a bottle I can hit you over the head with. <laughs> I have to actually overpower you. And now I can't. Uh, 
and indie maybe can. That's why indie is very interesting to me. I totally agree. I mean, we I, the, we put the clip out today on Twitter just about how I think that they're right there in the AFC because of that exact reason. I was talking to a defensive coordinator last week, and we, I, we were having this discussion just about the running game and its place and playing against teams and how there are certain teams where it's like, I just don't believe they're going to run it. I, if I give them the boxes, I just don't believe for over the course of an entire game, they have the commitment to it or the ability to do it. But when you play it, and he mentioned the Bucs, like when you play a team like the Bucs, there's just no good answer. Like you ultimately do want to make them run the ball because you don't want to let Tom Brady beat you, but they can also do that. So those are the teams right now that you fear the most based on how the league looks is the teams that have an answer no matter what you're throwing at them. And I think that there aren't that many teams that fall into that category because there aren't enough teams that have caught up to that idea. We're still kind of coming out of this phase where passing is all that matters. And so you have teams that we expected to be incredibly elite offenses that can't get there because they're not built to be balanced. Yes. And everyone knows that like the knock on Andy Reid is that he won't, he won't do it. He won't do it enough. And and how could you blame him when you have the weapons that they have? When you look at those teams that will, I put India in there. I put New England in there. I put Green Bay in there. Yes. uh, To an extent. Uh, uh, Their run game has not been as efficient this year, but they will do it. They will do it. Tampa will do it. I don't know how far Philly's going to go, but they'll obviously do it. Uh, I don't know if the Rams will do it or can do it or want to I do it. I thought that last week was a good indication that they are willing to lean on it if they need to. Like Sony yeah. Michelle getting 25 carries in that game and them just saying, fuck it, we're going to come out in 12 personnel and we're going to hammer you. I think that that is a good club to have in your bag if you're Sean McVay. Will Arizona. Yes. I agree. That Arizona is just, the perception of Kingsbury and all of this, and you wrote about Vance Joseph, they're a very interesting team to me. The, it takes a long time for the perception to change in people's minds, but that's a very interesting team. We know Tennessee will if, they, if they're able to, if they have enough people on the field. So I agree. I, I'm with everybody else that passing games where it's at and you have to be most efficient there, but I also believe that the raw stats, I love EPA, I use it all the time. I never use EPA to like tell how good we are in the run. I just feel like it doesn't capture fully what I want to say about the role of the run. God, you're speaking my language there. I'm just not sure. Like it doesn't pass the smell test for me. Like I know the, the importance is in between what the numbers say and what it actually is. What, and what history says, what, what 1975 football says it is. There's something there uh, that we haven't been able to quantify properly that is going to help some of these teams and is helping some of these teams. And like the discussion that was had and Mitchell Schwartz was in the middle of it, passing the football is stressful. It is stressful for the quarterback. There's decisions that have to be made. It's stressful for the offensive line. It's you have to do it. You have to do it well, but there is this balance in there. There is this relief when you, can run the ball and have it not kill your drives. Yeah. It is really, really valuable. When Carson Wentz finishes a game with 22 passes and no one's talking about him that week and they just won by 14 points. How good is that? I was talking to a play calling head coach about this recently and he said, it's about running it when you have to run it. It's about that. That's it. 
you don't have to be a team that lines up and runs it 45 times and throws it three times like the Patriots did yesterday. You, we know that running is less efficient than passing, but when you have to run it, can you do it? I, I think that that's such a huge part of this. I don't want to get too far down this road because I, I actually do think we I want to have a larger conversation about that idea on yeah. one of these shows here very soon. Yep. I've been thinking through that. Like, the, What's the best way to engage that subject? It's sort of like, It just takes a while to be able to express exactly what you're saying. But I think we're on the same path there that I would much rather be one of these teams that can. <laughs> if, if the Chiefs had the Colts running game right now, they'd be averaging 30 points a game every week and they'd win the Super Bowl, period. All right. Well, over the last 45 minutes, we just solved why the NFL is the way that it is this year. Yeah. And it's a very strange season that we're dealing with. Mike Sando, very much appreciate the time, sir. Please tell everyone where they can listen to you on this feed. Absolutely. On Saturday, Randy Mueller, the former GM and NFL Exec of the Year, and I uh, you know, try to hold uphold the high standard that you set ah, on the show. And if you if you catch us on a Saturday, you'll get our picks and the reflection on the Thursday game and and a lot of fun from especially Randy, someone who's been in the league and can at least tell you how they think. So please go check out the football GM. Please go check out all the work that Mike does. What did you write this week? Well, I wrote my pick six column trying to stack the AFC. I actually did two versions. One was if the Patriots won and one was if the Bills won because I knew that this could be a wild game. And yeah. so there's a huge there's a huge uh, swing on that. And then I think for Friday, I'm going to revisit my preseason uh, execs worries for every team. It's a little bit of an accountability. Hey, were these worries really <laughs> the thing to worry about? And it's kind of fun to look back and see what they were. In a lot of cases, they really were the worries. And in some, they were not the worries. Guys, please go check that out. I also wrote this week. So if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, now is a good time to do it. Theathletic.com slash football show. If you could do me a favor, go leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, where you, if that's where you listen. I would really appreciate that as well. It's that time of year. You know, people are feeling all warm and fuzzy. If you like the show, let us know. That would mean a lot to me. We will be back tomorrow with Lindsay Jones and with our weekly team visit with one of our athletic writers. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This was The Athletic Football Show.